Hey, what's going on there, everybody? Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. My name is Eric Demchak. Hope you're all doing swell out there. We got Stephen Trinkwald here, as per usual. Stephen, how's it going? It's going great, Eric. How are you? Not bad, not bad. Uh, college basketball just getting started, but we on the podcast are still talking WNBA. Now, I don't know if you all remember, I don't know if anybody actually listened, but last uh, last offseason we did a little bit of a, um, a rookie point guard deep dive where we kind of took a look at a lot of rookie point guards, uh, looked at their strengths, looked at their weaknesses, kind of reevaluated where we had them at the start of the season, and uh, kind of looked at how they were doing so far in the WNBA. We are going to be doing something similar uh, on this episode, but with wings. So we've got four wing players, Michaela Onyanwede and Dee Richards from the New York Liberty, Dijanae Carrington from the Connecticut Sun, and Arella Garantes from the LA Sparks. Uh, Steven, is there anything you want to kind of go over before we get started here? Like, no, this our... was uh, this was a fun exercise when we did it last year. Uh, we talked about Ty Harris, Jasmine Jones, uh, Julie Aleman, uh, along with a, a couple other players there. So that, I think, if you're really starved for WNBA content, I think that will kind of uh, age pretty well. Uh, so feel free to, you know, go back and listen to that after after this one. But I guess the only thing that to really add is that not a lot of rookies got major playing time this year, as we know. So I think this was, at least for me, a little bit of a more challenging exercise just because there was uh, less to go off of. Yeah, significantly so. Um, small sample size theater, definitely, for sure, uh, is going to play a role here, especially with some of these players like uh, Garantes in particular, where the sample sizes on some of these stats are just so darn small. So, of course, a lot of this stuff can change next year. It can change. It could be pretty volatile, but uh, I think just looking at their games using the uh, the quote-unquote eye test, if you will, is, is, is helpful there. So, Let's get started. First player, I think the the logical first uh, first step would be Onyanwede, the uh, reigning WNB Rookie of the Year. That's right, Eric. How are you feeling about Michaela Onyanwede coming into the the draft and coming into the season? So I think out of these four players, I think Onyanwede's game was the easiest to assess as as far as a WNB draft prospect. It's it's very obvious that she is an elite athlete and a very very energetic player. You know those things are all pretty apparent, you know, just watching her play in even in limited minutes at UCLA. Uh, And what was also apparent was, you know, she was a little behind the eight ball as far as individual development is concerned. Like her ball skills, I feel like needed some work. Her decision-making needed some work and probably still needs some work. But, you know, uh, I I think most of her effectiveness heading into the the WNB season, I'd say, would depend on her ability to transition to the perimeter at the pro level. You know, the Liberty ended up actually playing her a lot at the four, but I think one of the things we can kind of get into when we're looking back at Onyewade's season was, was she really effective at the four, you know? But, but yeah, out of these four players, I think heading into the draft, she was the easiest to assess. I had her ranked in the in my fourth tier of prospects, you know, maybe a little low uh, compared to the uh, results, but I'm okay with that. So where did, where did like the fourth tier kind of put her in from like a, a, a draft board perspective? Okay, yeah. So just for my uh, just for context, that's a, that's a good question. My tier one, I had both Charlie Collier and Avak Queer. Tier two, I had Arella Garantes, Renaya Davis, Natasha Mack, and Ari McDonald. Tier three, I had Dana Evans, and tier four, I had Michaela Onyanwede, Chelsea Dungey, Jasmine Walker, and Kiana Williams. So I, I hear you all laughing in the background already. That's okay. This stuff is hard. So somewhere around like a, a late first. Um, maybe early second somewhere, if I was yeah, you know, correctly. It, it's interesting because I feel like while Onyewede's game was easiest to assess, as far, like her game and her strengths and her weaknesses, they were easy to assess, but they also made her kind of a an interesting player to project. Because like if she went to the second, if she fell to the second round, I wouldn't have been surprised at all. You know, I, I wasn't really expecting her to become an immediate contributor with the Liberty because of those question marks. Obviously, she proved that wrong. But, you know, she had to kind of fall into the right situation. And I think the Liberty were a good situation for her. Well, let's get into that rookie season. Uh, 711 minutes for Michaela Onyanwede last year in all 32 games, including 29 starts. Uh, so the, the starting power forward for the majority of the season for the Liberty here, she came in at 53% true shooting. Pretty good number, particularly for a rookie. Uh, 62nd percentile league-wide. 14 points, 5 rebounds, 1 assist, 1.2 stocks, 
1.7 turnovers and four fouls per 36 minutes. Those are all per 36 minute numbers. I think that's kind of the most useful way to sort of that's a better approach yeah. measure rookies uh, amongst uh, you know players who are not playing the same number of minutes here. She was 37 for 113 from three. That's good for just under 33%, let's say. And then 54 for 114 from two, 47.5%. So just about a, a 50%, you know, 50% of her shots coming from two and 50% coming from three, literally a one fugal attempt difference there. Really, you know, from a, a baseline perspective, some some pretty good numbers for Onion Wede. Yeah, not bad, not bad. Especially, like I said, consi- uh, coming into the week, not sure what position she'd play, not sure how the three-point shot would look. It had it ebbs and flows, you know. I, I think, like I said, small sample size, although her sample size is significantly larger than the other players we're going to discuss. The three-point shot in particular, you know, she started out the season really well shooting the three. Then she had some games where she, like, wasn't hitting anything. But the shot profile was... It was interesting, Stephen, you know, especially for a player who you thought might have have to play a little more on the perimeter, but she was playing kind of like a stretch-ish for a role. Not sure how much she actually stretched the defense in reality, but that was her role with the Liberty. Yeah, and I mean, was she necessarily providing a ton of gravity last season? No, perhaps not. There were a lot of games where opposing defenses were she was the one that that was kind of getting that little extra step away from you know in terms of where the defense was positioning themselves but what she did show is that she can play that role she can be a play finisher you know she was not asked to create a lot for herself or for others um, but was able to really kind of fit into this offense as a play finisher both from three-point range you know okay obviously 33 percent is not great for someone who takes 50 percent of their shots from three um, but also attacking closeouts and you know for her role someone who is pretty much just asked to finish plays like she had kind of an ideal shot diet she like we mentioned nearly 50 percent of her shots from three 35 percent of her shots from the restricted area only nine of her 228 field goal attempts came from non-paint too. So she was at least breaking the paint and most often kind of deep into the paint when she was, you know, stepping into the three-point line. Yeah, no, that, that, that was that part in particular was a nice surprise for me, uh, especially for a player who in college, the, one of the main questions was, how's her three-point shot going to look? It, it's like at UCLA, it was almost like she had to kind of develop a three-point shot within the span of one season, which is, I think, pretty difficult to do, especially because... I'm going to bring this point up later. Up until this season, the uh, women's college basketball three-point line was actually a little over a foot shorter than the WNBA three-point line. So it's kind of difficult to translate that, I think. But she did, and um, she got kind of, you know, the Liberty, they like their their analytics as far as shooting threes goes, except when it comes to Benai Um So yeah, and you know, Onyewari uh, was a nice fit there, particularly, like you said, as a play finisher. I don't think any of us really expected her to be much of a playmaker, at least for others. And we can kind of talk about how we see that uh, hashing out in the future for Onion Wede as well. But the game seemed to come somewhat easily for her, at least in the beginning. You know, defense is adjusted and everything. But I think one thing that was really obvious right from the beginning was this player works extremely hard. She brings boundless energy. And, like, she's just going to give it her all in every single possession. That might be kind of surface-level analysis there, but it's clear why the Liberty loved her. Well, and from a physical perspective, it was clear that, you know, she she belongs in the WNBA, right? Oh, definitely. She's, uh, like you said, a, a pretty top-tier athlete, great physical strength, you know, was able to get to the, the free-throw line for about 20% of her shooting possessions, which was really impressive, again, for a rookie playing the four as an undersized four for her to be able to you know, get to the the free throw line pretty reliably. And she was, again, not asked to do a ton on her own. 83.5% of her field goals were assisted. That is a very, very high number, but she was 62nd percentile in the league as a spot-up player on almost 60% of her possessions there. Overall, you know, 33%, it's not great, but almost two points per possession on her no dribble jumpers, you know, well above league average there, just under league average, you know, 0.947 0.947 points per possession on drives to the basket on spot of possession. So that's kind of attacking those closeouts. So, you know, she she got into transition pretty effectively, you know, just from a, a volume perspective, you know, albeit on pretty low efficiency, right? She, she wasn't converting those plays all that well, but 
you know, gave you some nice moments as a, as a cutter and offensively, the things you would kind of want from a rookie, you know, fourth or fifth type option in this offense. I think she showed the signs that, you know, one, she, she did them pretty effectively this year, which is, is good, but also, you know, you imagine that that three point shot is going to improve. She looks pretty reliable from the corners, uh, especially even if, you know, I think she'll always be a pretty good kind of corner three point shooter. Maybe she'll have some, some hit or miss above the break seasons here and there. And then her athleticism, she's not a player that you're going to dump it down into the post necessarily against a smaller guard. But if she had a guard on her on the drive, like she was able to kind of physically will her way, you know, get her body into those players and get a pretty good shot at the goal. Oh, yeah, she's really strong. There's there's no doubt about that. I guess, you know, what what sort of uh, areas of improvement do you kind of see for Michaela Onionwede to, you know, outside of getting her three point shooting a, a little bit higher? What are elements of the game that you kind of like to see some improvement going into year two? I think the most obvious thing right now is decision-making. You know, she is not a player who, and and this might be just her role, and this might be just something that was expected of her, but she's a player who, once she gets the ball in her hands and she makes a move, she's not looking to pass. Uh, and that's, you know, that, that that's all fine and good if that's her role. But I think, you know, the, the assist-to-turnover ratio was, was not excellent. And just, I think the decision-making in general was, was not great. It, it seemed like she kind of got got tunnel vision when she was going to the hoop. Maybe the game was going a little too fast for her. And that's that's to be expected of some rookies, especially some rookies who are making a big transition from, from the post to the perimeter and, and rookies who are, like I said, still getting adjusted to the pro game and still getting their ball skills up to par and everything. But it's still it's still a point of emphasis, I think, for improvement. And then the other thing would just be defense. You know, I'm not sure what position she's going to be able to guard moving forward. I really wish she was like two, two or three inches taller, Stephen, because then she'd be the ideal power forward. But as of now, it's almost like she's a little too small to guard fours and just a little too undisciplined to guard threes. Yeah, let's get back to the defense in a minute. I, uh, I think we can hit on the offense okay, a yeah. little bit more. Uh, you know, I the decision-making, I think you're right. I think her, her finishing, which I think is a, an element of her decision-making because, you know, I think oftentimes in the beginning of the season when her, you know, when her shooting was a little bit hotter you know I think it was kind of you know she didn't quite have a consistent season like you know the first half of her season I guess what I'm trying to say she was really hitting threes but I I don't think kind of her finishing craft was was all that strong but you know even when she kind of dropped off in her shooting that's when you kind of really saw some improvements with her finishing over the course of the season both in her body control and in her craft and in her ability to sort of um, use her body to kind of shield against the ball, not just really kind of hopelessly plowing herself into sort of bigger defenders at the rim. And, and we saw her finish over some some pretty good players, pretty good rim protectors in the second half of the season there. But in terms of the assist to turnover ratio, like you were saying, like she pretty much had twice as many turnovers to assist. And I think we just, we kind of have to see a little bit more from her, even as just like a, a tertiary or fourth kind of passer, you know, swinging the ball from her good luck to, to somebody else for a great shot or being able to kind of make a good pass after two dribbles and sort of breaking the paint when the defense is kind of walling off the rim. She's not going to, you know, have the ball in her hands and run pick and rolls or anything like that. But just to not kind of have that tunnel vision, she had one of 19 seasons over the course of WNBA history where she put up 220 field goal attempts and, and less than 20 assists. And there were a lot of kind of repeat names within that 19 or so seasons, you know, Tammy Sutton Brown and Rebecca Brunson. So you can be a valuable player and an effective player on really good teams. You know, we see some of those. But I think you can still hope for a little bit more in Onionwede, especially kind of the way this Liberty team wants to play and, and sort of five out and, and drive and kick and, and everything like that. That's a good point. That's a great point, actually. Uh, I think we'll have to see what the roster looks like next year for New York. And this is going to be a question we're going to address uh, once again when we talk about D.D. Richards. But um, I think if the Liberty have a little more playmaking on their roster, that won't be as big of an issue. Whereas this past season, it was like, you know, UNESCO, yeah, but... You know, a little bit of Sammy Whitcomb, a little bit of Benajah Laney, but not a lot of dedicated playmakers on this on this roster. So may, maybe that's why Onion Wade's deficiencies in the playmaking department were were magnified. Um, the one thing I want to say specifically before we move on to her defense is that you know in college her her favorite offensive move was a turnaround jump shot. Like like you would sometimes you'd even see her her shoot that in transition. It, it was kind of funny, but it was a money it was a money shot for her. Like she just elevates so effortlessly over defenders um and that that 
turnaround mid-range jumper looked like a layup for her. But in the WNBA level, I was a little concerned how that would translate because, you know, obviously the defenders are bigger and taller and faster and more physical and all that good stuff. So how do you feel about that shot for Onion Wede? Because, I mean, she loves to take it, obviously, but I think she could use an extra shot or two in her bag for next season. So I think it's one of the situations where, like, the shot looks good, but, you know, that was kind of her inefficient area, right? She was only, she got to the paint a lot and she got to the restricted area a decent amount, but she was only 30% shooting in those non-restricted area kind of paint area. She was nine for 30 in the paint non-restricted. And a lot of those were those kind of turnaround shots where she got good separation. It, it looked good, but you know, you, you just kind of back ironed a lot of them. But one, I think that's never going to be a super reliable shot for anybody to the point where like you're going to make your living off of it but even if she gets that number to you know you know 42 percent instead of 30 percent then we're looking at a player who can maybe take even more advantage of, of smaller players on mismatches who just has one more kind of reliable element in her arsenal where it's not either just you know a straight layup or getting to the line or or shooting a three and she she has the athleticism i think to kind of really get separation from that turnaround whether it's sort of uh you know a a spin or something like that so i don't know maybe i'm a little bit higher on its prospects than you are you know actually now now that you mention it it's probably not a horrible thing particularly because if you look at a player of onion size like i said uh, 511 at best and she's going to be going at players who are on most nights taller than she is. It's probably better that she has like a counter shot like that than just, you know, driving headfirst into Brittany Griner all the time. You know, it's not going to end. And and the other thing, Eric, is I think that a lot of those shots were coming from like a step or two outside the restricted area and not, you know, the free throw line. Okay. So yeah. So even like, even if you're talking restricted area, there are, there are certain distances there. So, I mean, it's, it's great to see because she has, it's obviously a developing skill of hers. And by all accounts, she's an extremely hard worker, and, and she knows what she needs to improve upon. So talk about her defense real quick. Well, I actually kind of wanted to, to pitch it to you first because you, oh, you bad. know, you, well, that's okay. You felt as though like an adjustment kind of had to be made positionally from being a four in college to being a three in the WNBA. Overall, sort of how are you feeling defensively after year one? And, you know, are, are you still kind of feeling that like the three is sort of the long-term position for her, at least on that end? On that end, yes. You know, defensively, I'm not feeling great. You know, I, I didn't have very high uh, expectations of her defensively as a rookie. I mean, rookies, typically speaking, you're not going to be very high on defensively, although we will get to that later. I think, uh, I don't I, I think I like her more as a three defensively just because, you know, yeah, she can work on her footwork and her, and her, uh, her closeouts and stuff like that. But if she's guarding fours full time, she's going to be at like a permanent size disadvantage. You know what I mean? So, like, you could work on fouling and, and stuff like that, but at the end of the day, she's still going to be 5'11". And that's what's really unfortunate about her archetype is that if she was a couple inches taller, you know, I mean, you might have, you might have like, an all-WNBA caliber talent on your hands. But bygones will be bygones. Um, I think she's probably better defending on the perimeter now, and I think she will be in the future. I, I don't know, Stephen. I didn't see anything during her rookie season to change that opinion. Okay, I think I disagree with you just because... I think from a starting point, I think strength is more of a uh, a strength for her than lateral quickness is, and I think it's it's an easier area to improve. So even if you are a little bit undersized from you know from a height perspective, you know I think she has pretty good physical skills, and and I think that that's just you know it's easier to get stronger than it is to get laterally quicker and okay. be able to kind of hang defensively on the perimeter. But you know neither one were really. I think a strength in her first year, you know, she wasn't really able to keep anyone in front of her in individual defense. The defensive foot speed was a little bit of a problem as a help defender. I think, you know, I think she just needs a little bit of improvement on, on the timing, but like she's a rookie player. Like I'm not all that concerned. I, I think, you know, one thing that did kind of jump out is just not, not a defensive playmaker at all. Nine blocks on the season no. and, and just 14 steals. So, you know, for a player who is, undersized as a four and a little bit slow footed as, as a three. I think maybe like you, you just have to be able to kind of make some plays defensively to sort of make up for your lack of strong fundamental defense. Um, but maybe that's, you know, something that's just going to take her out of more plays even more so, but I don't know. I just, I just see her kind of holding up in the post with, with some even more added strength, a little bit better than, you know, trying to hang with like a Kalea copper or someone like that on the perimeter. 
Well, not a lot of players are able to hang with Kalia Kuyper, but I understand your point. That, that's a good point. It is it is easier to get stronger, and she's already a, a pretty darn strong uh, player, especially for a rookie. So, um, let's. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add about Anyanwere? Well, what, where do you just kind of see her in, you know, sort of a, a hierarchy? Do you feel pretty good as for her as like a, a fifth starter moving forward? Do you think she's more of kind of a long-term bench piece? I think she could be a, be a starter in this league. There's, uh, you know, if she gets, let's look at what she needs to improve at. One, she needs to be able to guard at least one position effectively. The jury's still out on that. But I think both of us are pretty high on her at least becoming a decent jump shooter. From or, out there. or just be a good enough kind of team defender that, you know. Right. She won't necessarily kind of kill you in one spot, and right. you know the overall team won't kind of collapse around it. I mean, you mentioned defensive playmaking. Yeah, that was a little bit of a disappointment. Uh, didn't expect her to block a ton of shots, but maybe get a few more steals than, than than what she did. Ideally, you want a player to either be a good positional defender or a good defensive playmaker, and I'm not sure if she was either. But once again, rookies, you don't usually see that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think we're both pretty high in her ability to at least become a decent three-point shooter from out there. She definitely showed flashes of that in her rookie season, and she should have the potential to improve upon her play finishing even further. So, I don't know. Depending on how this Liberty roster looks, I think they really like her. Obviously, you know, she was the most highly decorated rookie this past season. Some of that has to do with the the class itself, but, I mean, she earned it. So, yeah, I I could see her being a a fifth starter. How about you? Yeah, I agree. I think she can definitely be, you know, she can hang as a a starting player on a pretty good team. And I think that that... Finishing element of her game, kind of those those really strong finishes inside was the most surprising part to me as the season went on and just kind of going back and digging up some of the, the film there where she was able to, you know, finish over good fours defensively or get her body into players and get her shoulder in and, and kind of still finish and not be sort of too um, put off balance by some of that contact, even if it's, you know, something where where she's initiating the contact, but she was still kind of able to finish it. So that that was an impressive element to me, and I, I think it bodes well for for her future. But yeah, I, I'm pretty high. You know, this this will probably still end up being not one of the great all time, you know, rookie of the year type players, but Michaela Onyewaye is going to be a, a WNBA player for a long time and a pretty good one, I think. Yeah, yeah, very impressive uh, physical tools and athleticism, Michaela Onyewaye. Okay, we need to move on here. Uh, let's go to uh, Onyewaye's teammate and fellow all-rookie team contributor, D.D. Richards out of Baylor. Yeah, well, uh, please grace us with your pre-draft evaluation, uh, a player who I think you were not very high on, if I recall, from our last year. Okay, this one might be a little embarrassing, but I'm no stranger to embarrassing myself. So I wasn't very high on D.D. as a prospect. I just think there are huge questions about, obviously, her jump shot or lack thereof. Like, in college, she would, like, not even look at the basket. And that's not even... You know, I mean, she's look at her physically. She's actually taller than Anya White is. I think Dee Dee Richards is like six foot one. You know, and, and that's, she, has, she has great size for her. She, she has really good size for a player who was for Baylor playing point guard. But the thing about that is, she was moved to point guard for her her senior season, and she was a wing for most of her collegiate career. Now, granted, watching her play in college, there is no question that you know she had some legit passing chops and a pretty decent floor game, I would say. Um, but she was just so extremely passive offensive that you know i don't know like obviously defensively dd richards is a beast there's no question about that and she is another player who works extremely extremely hard on that end of the floor both ends of the floor really you know and her pedigree is you know is not to be questioned so i don't know it it was a strange draft pick for me because i thought of new york as a place where you know they want to shoot a lot of threes they want to run a lot of pick and roll they want to get the ball up and down the court and I wasn't sure exactly how D.D. Richards fit in there. I was pretty wrong with it. Like, I, I think my assessment was a little bit off. I mean, I, clearly, I mean, her, her jump shot, you know, is, is going to need work. And her offense, her passiveness needs some work. But, I mean, her, her WNBA impact in her rookie season far exceeded what I expected of her. Yeah, 100% agree. And getting into kind of the overall big picture numbers, 346 minutes. In 31 games, uh, zero starts for Richards. So, I mean, look, we're, we're talking about four players here. This is, you know, we're going by number of minutes. This is the second player on our list in minutes played uh, for, you know, these rookie wings that we're looking at. And she's already less than 50% of Onyewede's <laughs> minutes total. So, so not a, a lot of film work to work on for any of these next three players here. But, you know, 51% true shooting right around league average for a rookie wing with major, major offensive questions coming in. League average true shooting is probably all you can ask for, right? But she was 10 for 22 from three. That was good for 45% from a percentage standpoint. 
17 for 42 from two, 40% on twos, and then six from 10 from the free throw line. And in terms of her per 36 numbers, that comes to uh, seven points, three and a half rebounds, two and a half assists, two and a half stocks, and 1.7 turnovers. And I think encouragingly, only two and a half fouls per 36 minutes, uh, given her defensive aggressiveness and you know how handsy she is defensively, her ability to get on the floor. That number jumped out at me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no question. Like I said, Dee Dee Richards is an amazing defender, and really does. You know, I'm one of the people who would say that effort is a skill. Dee Dee Richards, there is absolutely no question. She gives an incredible level of effort on both ends of the court, really. And you know, I'm gonna I'm just gonna say it now. You know, I, I wanted to say this for my moving forward section, but we can just say it now. WNBA coaches are gonna want to coach Dee Dee Richards. It's pretty easy to see why the Liberty love Dee Dee. Uh, you know, the thing is. I was surprised about the three-point shooting, considering that was literally not a part of her game at all, like ever at Baylor. But the thing about those numbers is, one, it's a small sample. Very small sample. And two, she was never guarded out there, you know, as expected. So, yeah, I mean, this is remember a couple years ago where I think it was, was it Tierra Ruff and Pratt for the Sparks who had like a really strong uh, percentile of, uh, of catch and shoot jumpers, but they're like all unguarded, right? So it's... You gotta, you gotta kind of watch and, and see where those shots are coming from within the offense. Yeah, and even still within you know her low minute totals, only two threes and four and a half twos per thirty six minutes. So just not a player who was kind of getting involved in things offensively when she was out there. Eleven percent usage. That's, I mean, there are not a ton of players who How are, do you even do that. <laughs> you're gonna see eleven percent usage, and we'll we'll get to a little bit more of that. But um, yeah, I think we can get into a little bit more of the jump shot and, and everything like that. But I think there's like the making of a, a really nice floor game in, in Dee Dee Richard. She's, she's going to give you good defense, maybe not the level of defender she was in college in, in her rookie season, at least, but encouraging enough to, you know, what's already there with some natural progression. You know, she forced a bunch of steals, you know, fronting fours in the post last year. She had some nice moments as a cutter, you know, she wasn't able to finish a lot of those moments, but the timeliness of the cut, I think, is interesting and sort of worth considering even if you know the finishing craft or maybe she sped it up a little bit too much like I think all of that can be improved more so than you know if someone is just kind of a stationary player and doesn't sort of have those timely that that kind of timeliness instincts as a cutter what do you think about that that's a great point and you know it's it's one thing if a player on offense isn't isn't being guarded behind the three-point line and they just stand there but Dee Dee Richards knows how to move without the basketball, and she's she's willing to move without the basketball, and that's that's a really good thing to have. You know, the one thing I think, out of all these players, Dee Dee Richards has the best feel for the game, like by far. Would you would you agree with that? I think so. Yeah, I mean, there are certain elements where Garantis, I think, has feel as an offensive player, but just in terms of overall floor game, like you got to give it to Dee Dee, I think. Yeah, and that's, that's, I think, the one thing that is really keeping her on this roster as of now. And, and I think regarding Richards, this is where the roster crunch for the Liberty and their, and their returning players or theoretically returning players is going to become a factor. But speaking purely from her rookie season, I mean, like I said, you have to ask yourself, how is this player getting minutes over her competition, which would be Jasmine Jones, right? Um, and Neil she's, Yeah, and, and Leo Odom, right. Um, the one thing is, I think you're comfortable with with Edie Richards guarding multiple positions, one through three at least. I mean, you mentioned she she could front the fours as well. She's got the size, she's got the the wingspan, and she's you know she's got the moxie. So maybe not as as high level a defender as she was in college, but you know that's that that's a pretty high bar uh, for her to leap over her rookie WNBA season. There are not a lot a lot of players in the WNBA veterans who you'd be comfortable asking to do that, but Richards could do that. So I think it's a combination of that kind of defensive versatility plus that feel for the game. You know, the three-point shot, I mean, that's 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 gravy. That, that was really cool. It was, it was a nice development to see. But even without that, Richards was able to stay on the floor and earn those minutes because of, one, her defensive versatility, and two, her feel for the game. So would you like to get into her numbers a little bit more there? Well, one, one other thing I just wanted to say just about, like, the, uh, okay. the floor game is just that, you know, she's – She's uh, she runs hard in the open floor, and when you are you know not a player who does a ton of like uh, dribbling or you know you're you're a little bit of a low usage player in the half court. When you're committed to running the floor hard in the open court and you can finish pretty good, 
uh, like like Dee Dee did, that's what's sort of you know driving her overall efficiency numbers in the in transition were were kind of not that great because she turned it over a ton, but she, she finished, you know, her actual field goal percentage is really good. And I think, you know, this is a team that was just cursed with turnovers period. So I don't want to put too much <laughs> of that on, on DD, but that just another element of the floor game here that, that I liked. I, I think that the place to go is just the jump shot. Yeah. How, how real, I guess, do you, do you think, I mean, 42 attempts is nothing, but you know, she, she hit more of them than, than some other players on this list. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for better or for worse. Yeah. You know, like I said, she already showed more development as a spot-up three-point shooter than expected, but let's look at the rest of the jump shot. Is she ever going to be able to hit a jumper like off the dribble? I don't know. I don't think so. No, like it's it's the form is just so, was just so bad at Baylor, and you could tell like that was not her, her coaches told her like do not shoot, like like don't. You're, you're looking to the post first. You're looking to the post second. If it's not there, you swing it. The Liberty obviously have a lot more confidence in her than the Baylor coaches did, which is cool. You know, I mean that that, that that's, that's nice to see. But you I mean, it was why. it was also just more of a necessity in at college. Yeah, like she absolutely, absolutely. I don't know, like like diversity. It's got a long way to go, Stephen. It's got a long way to go. If she increased her volume next season and came in at twenty eight thirty percent, that would not surprise me at all. No, um, but I think. And like you said, I think the dribble jumper just may never come around. Like, I, I just don't think that will really be a, a viable option in her game. You know, one of the problems is she releases it on the way down. At times had some pretty unbalanced kind of the, the base of her shot. But I think the encouraging part for me was the difference between her her lower half mechanics pre-break and post-break. You know, up top, it, it looked the same. That That's kind of just how her release is. But before the, the all-star break or the Olympic break... There was just kind of no consistency in her lower half mechanics. You know, she would she would land to the left of her takeoff on her jump shot. Her feet would never land in the same position that she kind of took off from. You know, she would rise up with her left foot out in front and then land with her right foot out in front. You know, sometimes her, her feet would land closer together. And there have been like plenty of WNBA players with kind of unconventional release motions up top. But but when you're the bottom half of your shot kind of has no consistency. I think that's a, a bigger cause for concern. And early on, like every single shot just looked different, right? There was just no no two jump shots kind of looked the same. But after the break, I think there was a lot more of a consistent lower half mechanics, I guess, for, for lack of a better term, not to uh, repeat myself too much. But her landing was, was much more consistent. Her footwork was much more consistent. The numbers, as low as they are, kind of bear that out. She was one for six before the break and then nine for 14 after the break, if you, uh, you know, those are removing her couple of heaves, I think she had for the season. So, and she was able to to catch it kind of ready to shoot after the break without really needing that extra plant stab, unlike before where she, she kind of really needed to, you know, take that one extra, I guess, just adjustment of her footwork. Uh, and, and as the season went along, you know, I think it kind of backslid a little bit. You could tell that, you know, it was something that she really put some work into over the break. But if, if she's able to be consistent at least in the lower half of her mechanics you know i think you can maybe again there will there will be seasons where it's just it's not there you know because she'll just go on a cold streak or something like that i I don't think she'll ever you know year over year just be at 38 percent or something but i don't think it's you know something where she had one good rookie season from three and then we'll we'll just kind of never see that again you know like like you see sometimes with kind of just low usage or, or like a low sample size okay a lot of good stuff there the one thing i just want to add to that i mean What's one of the great things about playing as a pro? You get pro-level coaching, in most cases, obviously. But uh, <laughs> it's it, it's obvious that, that, you know, the Liberty, I mean, they're not stupid. They know what they have in D.D. Richards. They know her strengths, and they know her weaknesses. They knew that she needed to work on her jump shot. And regarding the mechanics and everything, I mean, we, we, we can't uh, go without saying this player had a major spinal cord injury prior to her senior season at Baylor. Like, regarding mechanics and everything, I mean, her mechanics weren't great prior to the injury either, but I mean, you, you can't totally discount that either. I, I don't think so. Yeah. That's, that's really good attention to detail, uh, Steven, but regarding percentages and all that stuff. And I think this is going to lead you in your, in your next point regarding percentages and everything, small sample size. <clears throat> it's one thing to say, okay, she's a 38% three point shooter, but is she going to space the floor, Steven? Well, that I think is a big question mark. And I think w- one of the biggest questions for me is, for how she's going to make a long-term impact is just how is she going to kind of make defenses pay when the opposing defense decides to put like their best help defender on her 
uh, Brittany Griner, Brianna Stewart, Nafisa Collier, even if it's not getting to, you know, five or six threes per 36 minutes, we've got to see some sort of increased volume. Anything kind of jump out in terms of like, I guess what that looks like, what what you'd like to see Richards kind of be a little bit more active in for, you know, that, those floor spacing uh, situations. You know, I, that's tough because I don't think she's ever going to be the level of spot-up three-point shooter where defenses are going to respect her, which which is to say um, guard her out there, you know, actually space the floor, not just not just fake spacing. Um, but I would say cut more. I mean, she's already – she's she's showing the willingness to cut, and she's got a good feel for the game. Cut more. If, if defenses aren't, aren't guarding you, they're not respecting you, you know, sometimes they can fall asleep. Sometimes they're not worried about you. And in that way, you need to put yourself in the play, you know. Or – Use D.D. Richards as a, as a screener, you know, put her more on the offense. You know, that might not be, that might not be great, but I, I think she's got the, the level of feel for the game where if you involve her in the action a little bit more, she's going to be able to make plays for you. Or is that, is that totally ridiculous? And, and, you know, they're just going to double. Whoever. No, we, well, because if you, if you are using a player like that, who you're not guarding as a screener, then you're, you're making the defense have to play a little bit closer because otherwise you're you're getting a player open, you know, a Benajelani or a Sabrina Ionescu or Sammy Whitcomb or Natasha Howard, who actually can take advantage of that little bit of extra space created by a screen that where the the, the second defender is nowhere near them. So that that's definitely something I would like to see. Uh, the cutting, you know, over fifty percent from the restricted area as a wing, with I think some you know some some blown bunnies even in there. Like I think she can with just an extra year as a professional. We'll see you know, some, some improve there, uh, because, you know, she, she missed some very, very makeable, uh, layups at times. I think maybe just being too open or, or just kind of expecting a shot blocker or or I I don't know what, but I I don't think it'll, I mean, I don't know that there's definitely a chance where like she comes back next year and and they're just doing the same thing. But I I think the biggest thing is that 11% usage is just so hard to overcome. Like Kia Stokes and, and Bella Allery were pretty much the only consistent rotation players with a lower usage and those players at least kind of in the mind of of their coaches they're like the defensive anchor types kind of the big center um who's you know protecting the rim and and grabbing rebounds and stuff like that if you're looking at like perimeter players you know brian january sydney weiss carly samuelson bridger carlton those are really the only wing types that were around that number you know around 12 percent or so and those players, I think, bring with them an element of gravity as sort of reputable shooters that Richards needs to, you know, that, that she just doesn't have. I don't know if I'll say that she needs to develop, but that's not there. So, like, you're not completely forgetting about Carly Samuelson, even if she has a 12% usage or something like that, because, you know, she's proven that she's a, a pretty reliable three-point shooter. Why is Bella Ellery's usage? To, okay, never mind. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's I definitely agree with that. So basically involve Richards more. In your offense uh and, and i think i also love guards who screen so i just i just had to get that out there let's kind of look at how well, can i can i just say i think even more so than like the the shooting and the finishing one of the biggest questions for me about the long-term prospects of dd richards like her role on a wma team is just will she be able to to run the offense or do any type of initiating at this level because even as a backup, even with like all bench units or, or mostly bench units, because otherwise she's just kind of like a straight bench wing. And if that's your role, you you do kind of have to be really reliable as a play finisher yeah. on that end to, to hang around and, and give your team reliable spacing and, and play really good D, which I, I think we, we think she'll do over her career. But that to me is something that I, I'm not as as sure about. Yeah, point. Uh, end, of, end of the story, uh, we still need, or end of the day, rather, we still have a lot of questions about Richard's game and how is she going to, you know, stick around in the WNBA, particularly on this Liberty roster? Because let's look at the situation here. Um, they're going to have another decent draft pick in 2022. Uh, you're going to have Jocelyn Willoughby coming back from injury. You're going to have Asia Durr coming back from COVID, so congratulations to her. She's been cleared. Uh, that's That's awesome to see. Steven's favorite, Maureen Johannes, maybe coming back. We don't we don't know if she's gonna be coming over next year, but I mean there are obvious needs elsewhere for New York, you know, front court mainly. So I don't know if if they'll just punt that just to keep Dee Dee Richards on the roster. I don't know. She's gonna have a lot of competition next year, Steven. So so they will be looking at, I guess, the the players that you mentioned. Well or, or I guess I'll just go through it one more time. Like Sabrina, Laney, Howard, Whitcomb, Onion Wede, Willoughby, the number five pick. That's seven players. 
Marine Johannes and, and Asia Durr, I think, are being penciled in. That's nine. Rebecca Allen is their only free agent. Um, so, so that would bring them to 10, you know, before any outside free agents, before Jasmine Jones and, and Kylie Shook. I, I think they really like Kylie Shook. I think her place on this roster is going to depend on sort of what can be done in free agency, what Asia Durr looks like coming back. I mean, Asia Durr missed two full seasons from COVID after a, a just okay rookie year. I don't know yeah. if I would, you know, pencil her in to be, you know, this team has shown that they'll make kind of tough choices with the roster. Uh, I, that doesn't mean that I think they'll they'll cut Asia Durr, but if, if Didi Richards is a better player, they'll keep her. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you did see them cut, like outright cut Lasia Clarendon last season, um, which is, we don't need to get into that now, but yeah, you're right. Tough decisions for sure. I think moving forward, Dee Dee Richards, just looking at her game and how she plays, I can see her being a, one of those players who just bounces around the WNBA at worst, just because of all the intangibles she brings. You know, I, I, I hate to, you know, just just say like eye test stuff. I mean, but we've talked about it a lot now. She's got a great feel for the game. She hustles. She plays defense. You know, W like I said, WNB coaches want to coach Dee Dee Richards. They want to have Dee Dee Richards in their training camp, at least, just to push their other players. So even if her future isn't in New York, I mean, I think she did enough this, this her rookie season to prove to me that she's a player who's going to at least stick around in WNBA circles. But her game itself, in order for her to be a contributor on contending rosters, still has a ways to go. Would you say that's a that's a fair assessment there? Yeah, I think so. I, okay. I feel pretty good that she's a WNBA player, you know, through the long term here. I, I feel like she can already, she's already proven that she can kind of help a team, even if it's, you know, not in the greatest of circumstances. Like her on-off numbers were not that great or anything like that. But like this this Liberty bench was terrible. You know, they their rotation was, you know, mi- missing a lot of pieces and, and kind yeah. of inconsistent at times. But honestly, you know, as someone who follows the Liberty closely, I, I hope she's with the team next year. I think she brings a nice floor game and, and tenacity and you know she's just one of those players that, that kind of makes things happen and you know it's it's been a little bit of a praise fest this is a player with with obviously you know very very tangible flaws but um you know i think she's a, a good you know positive impact player that that deserves to to play in the league all right well put okay moving on uh let's go to uh, a player on steven's other team the connecticut son Dijanae carrington also from baylor you know i, I think she in college, it was very obvious that she was a, another really good defender, especially on the ball and navigating screens. She's got really quick hands. Um, offensively, I thought she was kind of a stationary three-point shooter with not much jump shot versatility. Uh, she had like a little bit of juice off the bounce, but you know, most of that was just overpowering smaller players. She is a player who has already, unfortunately, extensive injury history, particularly on her knees. So I, I wasn't sure if she was going to be able to hang with WNBA players, athletically speaking. She also was a player in college who got out and in transition a ton. Now, she had an interesting role on Baylor. She was one of their only decent three-point shooters or players who were encouraged to shoot, shoot threes, uh, but she was brought off the bench. And I'm not sure if Kim Mulkey did that, you know, just as like a spark type of thing or a player who, you know, you, you see this sometimes where coaches bring um, talented scorers off the bench, kind of like microwave type players. Dijanae Carrington got out in transition a lot. She pressured the ball a lot. So I was just curious if those transition numbers would translate to the pros or if that was just like a college system coaching thing. So I had her in my fifth tier of prospects. I wasn't super excited about Carrington. You know, I, I could see why people liked her, but I could also see why, you know, she may not have the highest ceiling as a pro. And I mean, you called her like a decent three-point shooter or at least a trusted one at Baylor. You know, she didn't even crack 30%. It, Baylor, I think, has a different standard for what qualifies as, as being yeah, very a, true. a capable three-point shooter or even allowed to take them than, than anyone else. Her overall numbers for her first season, uh, 220 minutes in 24 games. She got one start last year. 384 true shooting. That was good for the 17th percentile league-wide. She was three for 20 from three. That's 15%. 61 from two. That's 39%. And 11 for 15 from the line. Uh, the per 36 numbers, 11 points, 7.7 rebounds, 2 assists, 2.5 stocks, 3.5 turnovers, and 6 fouls per 36 minutes, taking about 3.5 threes and 4 twos per 36. So that's that's the offensive side, Eric. Anything, I guess, sort of you know stick out to you from Dijanae Carrington's initial offensive campaign? Not much. Honestly, I didn't think she was particularly impressive offensively. You know, prior to the season, I thought Connecticut would be a great spot for her. 
because she's a big wing. She can defend. Um, there's no question about that. And she's, you know, theoretically a good three-point shooter. How many total threes did she make as a rookie? She went three for 20. Okay. She made three three-pointers her entire rookie season. Went three for 20. I expected a little better from that, honestly. But, again, you know, Connecticut was a place where I think uh, they're looking for a wing. There was, a, there was a, a spot open there. It was basically between her and Kyla Charles, right? I'm not sure if that question was really answered throughout the course of the season. I think they still kind of prefer Kyla Charles, but we can, we can get into that later. I think this is the player who my pre-draft assessment was the closest on. You know, I don't feel any worse about it now than I did when I when I when when she first came into the league. Honestly, Steven, I don't know. You're, you're a Sun fan. What do you think? It's, she's not a very exciting player to me, but... Yeah, I, it's a big I don't know from me as well. I mean, initially kind of going into this, I thought maybe she has the highest floor of any of these non-Onion Wede wing rookies as like a reliable bench wing, someone who can defend a little bit, someone who can make plays on the defensive end, get out in the open court, has a little bit of scoring chops. But, you know, the shooting track record, you know, it's not just the three for 20 this year, but in college, you know, a 29% three-point shooter over, you know, five seasons or, or so on over 380 attempts, below a 70% free throw shooter in college on, again, over 300 attempts. You just look at some of those, you know, 17 misses from this year, and they're not particularly close. The three-point shot, you know, there are players with much worse three-point like looking three-point shots, much more unconventional looking shots. But she she just has no lift from from the jump shot is yeah. one thing. You know, it's, it's all kind of wrist and elbow to get it up there. There's just not a lot to be kind of optimistic about in terms of her prospects as a shooter. And she doesn't do enough, I think, offensively in other areas to, again, you know, if you're going to be a bench wing, I still think that, like you were saying before, she can overpower, like like she did in college, she can overpower smaller players. And, you know, she got a few and ones this year. There are elements of the game to still kind of like about her, but I, I actually kind of feel like at this point, she has the lowest floor maybe of any of these players as, as WNBA players. Okay, interesting. So you went from the highest floor to the lowest floor. Well, I mean, if you're if you're just not going to be a reliable shooter, if you can't really score the ball all that efficiently, and, and maybe she can just be a better two-point scorer as, as time goes on. I'm, I'm sure she would be. But, you know, the six falls per 36 minutes. So if, if you're not able to be a positive on, on either end, really, without, you know, costing your team uh, in, in those other plays, like, why are you sort of sticking around? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and I think... The, the proof is in the pudding here as far as, you know, her minutes are concerned. Like I said, the Connecticut Sun had a spot open for a, a wing who can make shots. Dijanae Carrington did not make shots. Um, and and, and she, they'll probably still have that wing open. Like, she'll probably yeah. have to get beat out by, uh, you know, a second round or, or first round pick to, to not make the team this year. So Yeah, but is, is she going to earn those minutes? I mean, I mean, if she's not scoring, is she passing? No, at least not very well. Where is she going to get her points in the half court? I mean, she she just gives you nothing as a passer, uh, I think. She she had a couple impressive looks, but also just turned it over on a ton of kind of routine passes and had a ton of turnovers also were just like body control fouls. Like, I think a, a lot of increase in her craft needs to come between year one and two to just not kind of like barrel into uh, opposing defenders. Yeah, I mean, it's the, I, that in particular, I think, is a significant change um, where she was used to like getting calls like that or at least being able to physically overpower players who are stronger than her in college Dijanae Carrington got fouled except when she was playing UConn in, in, in the closing seconds of the game never mind okay so I think I don't know Dijanae Carrington when I look at her I honestly wouldn't be surprised if she's like out of the league in a few years once she reaches three-year vet minimum status because how many how many draftees Steven do you look at coming into the league and say Okay, I mean they're a big wing, but they've got questions about shooting. They got questions about their playmaking, but they can defend. So I mean, maybe we'll keep them around as, as a project for a few years. Teams want to save money, especially with this new CBA. They want to they want to have cheap rookies coming in on, on rookie scale contracts so they can afford to pay their their vets. Once Dijon Carrington reaches vet status, what is she going to bring to a team that that's, that lets them say, okay, we'll pay the the, the three uh, um, the four year veteran minimum for her to keep her on the roster? What is she bringing to your team? You know, one silver lining for Carrington in this sure. uh, rookie season, she was able. I thought she got out in transition a pretty decent amount. You know, seventeen percent of her very limited possessions were in transition for 
you know, a, a team that didn't want to run at all, Carrington was able to to get out in the open court. Uh, and I think that can, you know, that's some an area where her, her uh, I guess her strength and her physicality, you know, can maybe play a little bit better than in the half court with, you know, kind of extra bodies around. So if she is able to, you know, land on a, a roster or stick around in the sun, uh, you know, hopefully Kurt Miller doesn't kind of take that element of her game, you know, sort of out of out of the mix. I think that that was a pretty straightforward thing, and it's nice to end on a, on a note of positivity there. Well, but... one other thing I just wanted to say, I guess, before okay. I move on, you know, this player for me is is the player kind of being evaluated with like the biggest grain of salt, like not only the lowest minute total out of the four, but I feel like she also played the largest proportion of her minutes in garbage time. You know, she was only at 75% of the minutes that uh, the next player we'll talk about, Arella Garantis, played 65% of Didi's minutes. So so it's a low minute total and, and also just not a lot of kind of valuable playing time with like the rest of their good players. You know what I mean? Okay, good point, good point. We need to move on because <laughs> this, this episode's going to be running a little long, but we have good content here. Uh, I, I honestly okay. thought coming into this that this would be a shorter one, but... No, no, this is, this is good stuff. Uh, so let's talk about Arella Garantes, uh, LA Sparks, Rutgers product. This is, right now, I'll say this is probably the player I was the most wrong about after one season. I thought Arella Garantes, many other people did, thought that she would be a lottery pick, particularly for the Indiana Fever. The Indiana Fever did not pick Arella Garantes. I thought she'd be a lottery talent because, you know, I, I thought she'd be able to make an immediate impact as a three-level scorer who could just out-muscle a lot of defenders. Uh, I thought she was an underrated playmaker, maybe not as high on her defense or her decision-making, but I thought her scoring ability and just, like, her body type, she'd be able to translate that immediately to make an impact on the team. I had her as a Tier 2 prospect. Um, whoopsie. You and everybody else, uh, th- this was a player who was... I wasn't alone. Yeah, no lower than 6, I don't think, on, on anyone's draft board, but that that's not how it fell in, in her rookie season with the LA Sparks. 291 minutes in 25 games she started two games last season 37 percent true shooting 15th or so percentile there uh six for 27 from three that was 22 percent 20 of 68 from two that was 29 percent per 36 numbers uh just under 10 points four rebounds two assists one and a half stocks one and a half turnovers three falls taking about three threes and eight and a half twos per 36 minutes and about 13% of her shooting possessions coming from the line where she was able to convert 80% of them. So encouraging in a way, a couple other numbers that just jumped out at me, 110 half court possessions to nine transition possessions for a team that was in the top half of the league in transition frequency. Only 50% of her baskets were assisted and 37% of her field goal attempts coming as non-paint twos. Anything surprising or unsurprising there, Eric? I would say, first of all, that transition transition percentage is just astoundingly low. And I'm wondering if the sample size kind of factors into this. To be fair, like, I just want to say now, I'm still a believer. I'm still a believer in Garantes. Maybe not as much as before, but I think a lot of what, you know, ailed her as a rookie is just like the natural course of a rookie of a rookie scorer in the WNBA who is just getting used to the physicality and the speed of the game and, and, and what have you. Um, but there are some numbers that are not great there. Uh, you mentioned that, that, that half court stuff, two things, two numbers that jump out at me over half of her half court jumpers were off the dribble and she scored 0.58 points per possession on them. Conversely, 16.1% of her half court shots were at the rim. So like not many at all. She shot under 29% on those. So like to put it simply, she took a lot of bad shots and she didn't make those shots. So I don't know, Steven, what's there to evaluate there? Yeah. 21% shooting on her paint twos. Uh, so not great finishing when she did get a couple feet closer. I mean, I think what one area that, you know, that I was kind of thinking about is like how much of this sort of awful offensive season for Garantes is, is sort of uh due to circumstance, right? How reasonable yeah. would it really be to expect this type of player, like a self-creator who kind of largely lives off difficult shots to have any modicum of efficiency as a rookie on the worst offense in the league? You know, she played a decent amount with two traditional bigs. She played in lineups alongside like Brittany Sykes and Taya Cooper, you know, players that are, are good, but definitely, you know, Sykes 28% from three last year, Cooper 32%. 
you know, defenses were just not really worried about what this team was going to do from behind the arc. They, they were just packed in the paint to stop, you know, their dribble penetrators or to bring some extra attention to, to Neko Gumuke. So, you know, not the most offensive friendly environment for what at least I kind of understood Garantis to, to want to do with the ball in her hand. But with that being said, you know, she just needs to kind of, I think, break out of the bad habit of, of seeking out the toughest shots on the court, Eric. I agree. And that's, that's something where I think, you know, her game in college was, you know, she was obviously the go-to scorer in, I'll be blunt about this, a typically poor defensive conference in the big time. So, you know, looking at, looking at how she performed as a rookie, I think, honestly, I think the physicality of the game kind of maybe took her by surprise a little bit. You know, she's used to just overpowering players. And to be fair, I, I think one of the reasons why I'm still high on her moving forward is that she, she has legitimate basketball skills. I mean, she, she's a legitimate scorer, but she's just wasn't good at scoring it. I, I called her a three level scorer. She was, not really efficient at scoring at any level in the WNBA. So I think it's a combination of maybe, like you said, bringing more efficient playmaking for sure on the Sparks, but also Garantes altering her shot diet a little bit. The Sparks do not need Garantes to take so many um, unassisted jump, long jump shots, you know? They'll have star-level players or however you want to say it, or all WNBA, maybe all-star, I don't know. <laughs> good players. They'll have some good players coming back. So Garantes, she's not going to need to do all that. I think the path to her becoming a legitimate WNBA player, like a good WNBA player, is altering her shot diet and playing within a competent offense. And theoretically, like, there's nothing really stopping her from doing that, you know? I mean, it, it, it could be, you know, the Sparks coaching staff could say, like, Earl, we don't need you to be doing all this with the basketball. Like, if, if, if we park you in the corner and you knock down 40% of your three-pointers on, on spot-up opportunities, then you'll have a role in this offense. Or maybe like a, a tertiary self-creator when the offense bogs down or, or something like that. I am a little bit concerned about the finishing at the rim and the uh, inability to get shots at the rim. But I'm willing to chalk that up to small sample size. And also like a rookie still getting adjusted to the pro game. Like we saw this with um, Jackie Young when she first came into the league. A player who was, like as you like to say, used to putting opponents in the weight room at the rim used to putting players in the goal because she's just so much bigger and stronger than them. I don't think Garantes is as strong as Jackie Young, but she has the same type of, you know, mentality when she gets to the rim. Uh, you know, we, we've seen strong wings struggle to finish the rookie season like Jackie Young and then be fine afterwards. Am I making too many excuses here? No, that, that's an interesting uh, point of comparison that Jackie Young, because I mean, going back to Young's season, like it was so obvious that she, she was even like getting through the players that she was supposed to get through physically and then just kind of like you know biffing the layup a little bit one other element about garantes i i think the the wnba line as you sort of uh brought up before the three-point line was a real uh adjustment pain for garantes yes. like I, I i don't think you know and i'm glad you brought up the corner because she looked noticeably more comfortable shooting from the corner and you know four of her six makes were from the corner you know still had a couple bad misses from there but when it was an above the break three it, it just really kind of felt a little bit out of her range a lot of sort of front rim short shots a lot of kind of putting a little bit of extra oomph you know from the lower body kind of you know trying trying to get it there i think that adjustment you know we should see some you know with with WNBA strength training and stuff like that we should see her a little bit more prepared to shoot you know, from, from the next, you know, from the pro range, I think next season. Yeah. And that's, and that's like why I said, I, I'm still, I still have a, a decent outlook on her because she has those, those skills. And it's just a matter of, like I said, adjusting that, adjusting that jumper a little bit. Um, you don't score as many points in college as, as Garantes did without some, some level of skill. And I think it's just, like I said, a matter of her getting adjusted to a new role in a new league. Um, and that, that may be kind of, kind of broad and, and, and kind of vague but if you look at these players we talked about we had big questions offensively speaking about Carrington's skills about Onion Wede's skills and about Richard's skills I think Garantes has the purest offensive like at least scoring skills she wasn't in a very good situation for rookie offensive players last year and the defense needs to improve of course as well but I think she is a like a solid coaching offseason and a solid player development offseason, which we have seen from the Sparks before, away from being an effective WNBA rotation player. 
I was not really put off by her defense uh, over her rookie season. Like, I don't think she, you know, was adding a ton of value there. But I was surprised, I think, with how how engaged she was on defense, with how much she communicated on the defensive end. Obviously, I have no way of knowing if what she was actually saying out there was correct. But, but it just kind of stuck out <laughs> with how much talking and pointing and directing she was doing out there. Um, so her level of compete on defense and her level of engagement, you know, again, probably wasn't a plus on that end. But... But I didn't, you know, based on her reputation as sort of, you know, kind of a chucker, you know, not playing a ton of D at the college level is just sort of out there to to score and put up points and stuff like that. You know, maybe that's just a Derek Fisher thing. You know, as much guff as he gets, he's he's coached pretty good WNBA defenses so far in his coaching career. Uh, And maybe he, you know, did a nice coaching job with Garantis on the defensive end. But for me, it's it's so much about kind of, you know, breaking bad habits offensively, like like the dribble, the two dribble kind of pump fakes, you know, where you get your defender in the air and then, you know, she's just kind of settling from a bat. Like what is the best case scenario if you're not going to, you know, get the ball out of your hands and then cut to the basket off of pump faking on, on a two dribble pull up? You know, what, what are you doing pump faking? And she has a really nice pump fake. Like if that's like a, you know, kind of a catch and, a catch and pump fake rather than a two dribble pump pump fake where she can attack the rim or something, but you're just turning a, a tough shot into an even tougher one there. And again, maybe that's just kind of adjusting with how laterally quick WNBA defenders were that she wasn't getting the separation she thought she would. But I mean, I don't, I don't feel all that hopeless about Arella Garantes relative to kind of what history says her numbers, you know, mean for the rest of her career, like, you know, 250 plus minutes, under 25% from three, under 30% from two. There's not a lot of kind of track record of players that put those numbers up in their rookie season, kind of getting to a baseline level of competence over a four, eight, 10 year career. But I still think Garantes has a pretty good chance of sort of bucking that trend. What do you think? I agree. I agree strongly. And regarding the defense, one thing, one bit of context I wanted to add there. Um, you don't play for C. Vivian Stringer at Rutgers if 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 you don't defend. She um you hear about the uh, infamous fifty five full court defense, and that's a that's a uh, style of defense in which you do need to communicate. And that's you know one of the reasons why I was high on Garantes coming in is she came from a a pedigree. You know Rutgers they have a history of turning out some pretty darn good uh, WNBA wing players: Benajelani, Kalia Copper, Essence Carson. You know, I don't know why if you want to call them wings, but you know, Epiphany Prince and Cappy Pondexter uh, to an extent as well. So the, the pedigree there is is very strong, and that's one of the reasons why I was high on Garantes coming in. She knows how to communicate on defense, and you know she she knows what to do. And you know, like it, it may it may be cliche, but she knows how to play professionally. You know, as as, as a pro, she knows she comes comes from a program that's that churns out a lot of professional level basketball players. So yeah, I mean, I think. Looking at her her numbers, I mean, she she struggled obviously, and 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 the shot diet needs to improve a lot. But like I said before, there's nothing really stopping Garantes from altering her shot diet and turning a lot of those dribble twos into above the break threes, if you will, or, or corner threes or what have you. And I think depending on how the Sparks roster looks next season, that can that that's an easy adjustment to make, you know, for their coaching staff. It's it's kind of a mixture between that and small sample size and just a just a clearly talented player getting used to not having not having an advantage in every phase of the game over her competition physically speaking anymore so anything else you want to add on Garantes here because I feel like this is a fairly easy assessment but I don't know yeah I think I'm good I guess you know removing Onion Wede from from the equation because I think she's she's pretty short up I think from these th- other three wings who are kind of taken all pretty closely in the in the draft, how many of them, you know, are you feeling good about? Who? How many of them are going to be in the league in three years? I guess that's a good point. I, you know, for some reason I didn't I didn't connect to, uh, put two and two together there. Yeah, they were all taken roughly in the same area in the draft. I feel pretty confident that Garantes has the best chance of being in the league, and this is interesting because like we just went in, in, in depth into her numbers and they were all horrid. But I, I think both from a physical and skill perspective um, and using context as well. She has the best chance of, of bucking that trend, as you said, and sticking around in the league. Richards, like I said, I think is, is at least going to make some WNBA training camps, but putting, she needs to be in the right situation roster wise and Carrington. I'm not particularly high on. So if I was, if I was to order them one through three, it'd be Garantes, Richards, 
Carrington. How about you? Interesting. I think I would still go Richards one, even though the wheels might fall off offensively. And, you know, maybe this is just such an aberration from a shooting season that that would just kind of, you know, it's not really reflective of, of who she is as a player. But I think, you know, defensively and with the floor game and everything like that and uh, her ability to get out in transition, I feel best. Garantes, I think I would feel next best about. But like if if it just doesn't, if she doesn't turn into an, a kind of an efficient offensive player, you know, is she is she bringing enough things elsewhere? But again, with you, I think Carrington is is the most likely, like if we look back on this in 2024 or whatever, the most likely to, to kind of, you know, just be an overseas player, I guess. You know, again, this is such small sample size theater that, that we might be way off and, and Carrington ends up being the, the best of the, the three, but I don't really think that'll happen. Well, we have been wrong uh, plenty of times before. If 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 you would like, you can. We we dedicated an entire episode just to things we were wrong about, and it could have gone for many more hours than it did. Okay, I think we. I think that'll do it for us. Uh, anything else you'd like to add, or you want to sign us off here? No, I think we can get going. Um, thank all right. you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, which we would greatly appreciate, you can subscribe, rate, and review on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can follow the show on twitter at double down wmba you can follow each of us on twitter at nemchok e for eric at trinkwald for myself we will be off next week for the thanksgiving break and then uh back at it for some more content so eric another fun one another fun one take care everybody be safe and enjoy the time off